0: Ready, boys? Let's
1: do this. Let's do
0: this. Welcome, everyone, to episode six of The Geoholics, a podcast produced by and for Geomatics professionals. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out with us. Uh, that opening song there, and I, I, I just realized that we used it last episode for the first time, uh-huh. and I didn't even say the name of the song. So the name of that song is Crumb, C R. Umb and of course it's by our uh, our latest addition to uh, the podcast band uh, uh, library stable stable of podcast bands uh, Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers bees make it they shake it get it there you go there you go I mentioned last uh, episode that uh, the lovely Megan and I were going to see them open up for Ten Thousand Maniacs last week we did so they did amazing. Um, they consider themselves Americana thrash pop, and Carol was like a little kid. I swear, got up on stage, she was so happy to be there, and she was so humbled. I mean, she couldn't stop smiling. She couldn't stop thanking everybody that was there. It was just an all-around great show, and even after the show. While 10,000 Maniacs were uh, were playing, Carol's like walking through the crowd and she saw me and I had my, you know, my Carol Pasty and the Honey Shakers uh, t-shirt on. She's like, oh my God, you look so good. Gives me a hug, recognizes Megan, gives her a hug. I mean, just great people. We're very fortunate to have them uh, on the show. So pretty exciting. Um, can't forget to thank uh, Social Hall for allowing us to be here in Studio One. Hasn't changed since last time, has it? No. Still good old Studio One. Good old Studio One. Uh, I will say this. I was in here last weekend for brunch, uh, the lovely Megan and myself, of course, and they do have some new menu items. And I know Jake's a little butthurt that the, yeah. uh, the Caesar salmon salad is no longer on the menu.
2: I heard that it was revamped, though. So I think I have to try the new revamped version before I can make a proper statement.
0: There is a new version, no question. Uh, Megan had it and said it was awesome. I went out on a limb and had the Sonoran Dog. And as long as I've lived in Arizona, I've never had a Sonoran Dog. It was my first one freaking awesome yeah it was great yeah and of course we're here on tuesday night it's uh half off whiskey tuesdays so cheers boys uh tomorrow's wednesday and of course the unbeatable ten dollar wednesday special being a hamburger and a craft beer for 10 bucks
1: so today's tuesday that means tomorrow's wednesday tomorrow's
0: wednesday what a concept crazy (laughs) every week's the same buddy uh that being said let's catch up with the boys jake what's going on man
2: um Still not a whole lot. So, we're pushing up those episodes. Uh, we just came off of a week off. We got an episode posted this past weekend. So, looking to see those downloads, those listens hit, uh, jump up. So, um, Head out of town this weekend, going on a cruise with the family to a couple of different spots, uh, new places I haven't been before, so looking forward to it.
0: And uh, rumor has it you're going to Alcatraz.
2: We are, yeah. So that's like one of our hot spots whenever we go to San Francisco. <laughs> I think this is going to be like the third time Does I've been there. Does your family
0: have like a thing with prisons?
2: Oh, oh my! we, we love Alcatraz. <laughs> I was like, crazy. we bought it, like the day that we could get the tickets, like two, three months in advance or whatnot, we got it. Because they sell out pretty quick, but yeah. Um, place is awesome.
0: Have you seen the cell where Clint Eastwood escapes from? Is that a real thing? I think so.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, not Clint Eastwood, but whatever. I forget what his name was. was Clint Eastwood? Well, the guy, like, <laughs> he, okay, yeah, it was Clint Eastwood, but yeah, I think that, I don't know, I, I haven't been a, a few years, I'll keep you posted, we'll we'll, we'll touch base when we get back and I'll, I'll get a picture of that. I
1: think they have it set Fantastic. up with, like, the papier-mâché heads that they
2: made <laughs> actually, in the bed. Yeah, yeah, I, really? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, he's not wrong, that they actually do. Awesome. Uh-huh. The, the ones like, are, like, maybe something similar of what they did use, so, that's awesome. yeah, looking forward to the trip, I'll report back, now I got some homework to check out. Take some so.
0: pictures, even though we're only audio. Yeah. Maybe we can figure out a way to share them. We mm-hmm.
1: do have a website and social media. Yeah, we can post them in the
2: show notes up there. Yep. What about you, Ryan? How's the uh, fantasy football going?
1: Uh, I finally had a decent week and I still lost, so we don't <laughs> have to talk about that again. <laughs> it happens <laughs> sore subject it's dude. the
0: life of a fantasy football player it happens. Just.
2: ups and downs it's a roller coaster
0: i don't I,
1: I i don't enjoy football anymore now i'm just rooting for certain people it's crazy it's how the game it changes going. your mindset yeah. it totally does i'm not i'm not sold on it 100 if i like win and make a bunch of money at the end of the year i'm sure i'll love it
0: here's the thing and after i think it's my 23rd year doing it with my high school buddies one thing i have can tell you for a fact is it is like seventy five percent luck. I swear to
1: God,
2: yeah. you can't totally. control it. Totally, you can't control it. I oh, mean, the... you can put in the best players or whatever you think the matchup is going to be, but at the yep. end of the day, like it's just who's going. I don't know. It's all
1: luck. they give you like the projected totals, and never even close. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm learning that, uh, right? the hard way. But um, cool. If I shoot it back to you, are we going to talk about Sunday?
0: Oh yeah, let's um, not football. Related. Little 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 backstory here. Um, I don't think we've ever mentioned it, but. Uh, I uh, am the president and co-founder of a local professional organization called the uh, United Surveyors of Arizona, and uh, I might mention that Ryan is uh, one of the directors as well, and he is also uh, the co-chair of the annual golf outing, which was just held this past Sunday, and went off without a hitch. You know, we had 16 foursomes, grew 25% from last year, which was our first annual, um, Jake was out there volunteering, so thanks again, Jake, for being there. No problem. And Jake got a little taste of stardom.
1: He was a celebrity. Yeah. He was
0: a
2: celebrity. I was getting recognized left and right.
0: Yeah, everyone's like, are you the producer, Jake, that we hear on Yeah, the Geoholics?
1: Like, we, we didn't know what you looked like. <laughs> they
2: were, they With that, golden, that golden radio voice? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They heard it
1: and they did a double take, like, well, <laughs>
2: oh, there he is. So it was great. Out uh, signing autographs, <laughs> taking pictures.
1: Kissing <laughs> the babies. Hey,
2: yeah. it's just getting started, man.
0: Get used to it. Uh, on that note, my safety share for this week <laughs> has to do with uh, golf course awareness. I'm, I, I almost got freaking uh, dropped by a golf ball on Sunday. Really? It wasn't like two feet away. It was probably more like 10 feet away. But it got me thinking, I'm like, you person could freaking die out here. Oh, yeah. Not only like drunk driving a golf cart, but you can get drilled in a temple by a golf ball going 150 miles an hour and you're done. Hey,
1: at least you go out doing what you love.
0: I suppose so. I, it prompted me to do a little research, and you know what's funny? Statistically speaking, golf is more dangerous than rugby. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. There was an organization that did a study of eight point six million sports-related injuries, and per one thousand people, there are one point eight injuries per that number, per one thousand people uh, golfing, and one point five in injuries per 1,000 people related to rugby or hockey or something like that. Right off
1: the top, is that like pulled muscles and stuff included? Because, you know, older people play golf that won't play rugby.
0: It could be. It could be. But annually, there's 15,000 injuries related to golf carts.
2: I believe that.
0: And 40,000 injuries per year related to getting hit by a golf ball, pulled muscles, what have you. Um, And, of course, there's lightning strikes.
1: I could definitely see the uh, golf cart problems. I've had my fair share of fun with those. Yeah, it's yeah. a dangerous
0: sport. I, I, Megan won't even ride. She wouldn't ride me this past weekend because the last time we played, I did like a 360. And she's like, what the fuck? She's like, I'm never riding with you again. So She's
1: a smart lady. But she, she rides in the car with you. She,
0: well, yeah, she does. <laughs> nice. And I will hardly ride in the car with her. Okay.
1: So, driving. That is. is she a two-foot driver?
0: Gaff break right. I'm afraid to look down I don't know. <laughs> she could gotta, drive
1: with three feet I don't know you gotta get the uh, school car that you have the brake on and the wheel if you need to like take the, over
0: uh, well that are like the flintstones
1: there you go Something blast like your feet so, through the floor
0: yeah yeah so that being said you know that's my safety share for this episode uh golf course awareness just be careful out there
1: yeah it's not it's, it's a
0: dangerous world yep so let's let's get this party started uh our guest today is a, uh, a personal friend of mine, I've known him since, gosh, grade school. We're getting old, man. Probably 30-some years, I suppose, at this point. Um, but uh, his name is Glenn Abramowski. He also goes by Glenski, Ski, a Uh, any one of those he will answer to. Uh, Before we get started and have this, what I'm sure is going to be an awesome conversation, I want to give you a little bio information on him. So, of course, he was born in Chicago, which is where I'm from as well, and he grew up in Mount Prospect, which is where I met him originally. Uh, Glenn attended University of Colorado Boulder, and he, uh, he received a Bachelor's of Science in Aeronautical Engineering in 1988. He's got two daughters that are 14 and 19. He's got his hands full there. My daughters are a little bit older. I've been through that age, and it's not easy. <laughs> Let's face it. His hobbies include listening and collecting, m- listening to and collecting music, along with exercising every chance he gets. The guy's in phenomenal shape. Unfortunately, we don't have video. He's always been in phenomenal shape. His diet consists of, if I remember right, Pop Tarts, yogurt, and chocolate milk. We'll find out more about that. He has. Uh, he's worked at Boeing for thirty years. He's currently a supplier program management specialist and he actually received the boeing volunteer of the year award in 2001 um, interestingly enough he was born with degenerative retina retina he's born with a born hey
1: there's a mouthful it's a tongue twister this for word sure. is
0: like three syllables i can't produce I, I can't say words like that <laughs> yeah uh degenerative retina condition that had him legally blind at the start of grade school Initially diagnosed with juvenile macular degeneration, but now diagnosed as retinitis pigmentosa. We'll find out more about that here in just a bit. With that, he was a uh, downhill skier on the U.S. disabled ski team. He was actually part of the U.S. ski team at the time. And he's won a silver medal in the Paralympics in 1984 in Innsbruck, Austria, and three gold, one silver medal at the 1990 World Disabled Ski Championships. This guy, uh, he's always been somebody that I've admired for for numerous reasons, obviously. He's the past chairman of the board of directors for the Delta Gamma Center for Children with Visual Impairment, located in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, for more than 25 years, he's done motivational speaking. And uh, the message that he shares is what it takes to overcome a disability. He shares that with students, parents, and civic organizations alike. Glenn, Ahoy. thank you for being here, my friend.
1: Welcome. Yeah.
3: Thanks for having me. We are honored
0: to have you in our presence.
3: Well, I appreciate the invite. And uh, Jake, by the way, when you get to Alcatraz, think about swimming from there to the shore of downtown San Francisco. I trained for it. I didn't actually do it this year, but I'm prepared for it, and I may do it next year.
2: Is that like a yearly thing they do yep. there? Yep, once a year. Okay. I actually trained for it too and was invited to do it when I was uh, swimming, yeah. And I Seriously? didn't end up doing it. And yeah. Presley did as Presley well. Did so, And it. I think yes. maybe McKenna too, so. Yeah, but they never did it, but they, they trained for it. Yeah, I think yeah, we're all yeah. in the same boat there to where we were invited to it and trained for it, but we didn't actually come to it. A couple of my yeah. buddies did. They said it was really cool, but
3: cool as in that's why i probably didn't do it the temperature is really cold
0: (laughs) i know i I know like in mckenna's case she heard there was a shark in the water at some point and that was it she wasn't about to do it after that so who's afraid of them who's don't sharks (laughs) jaws whatever so anyways um let's let's get past the serious stuff first um currently at, at boeing um i know you're working on some really cool projects and have in the past tell us a little bit about what you're doing so the, the, the information you can yes, share, or maybe be. projects you worked on previously,
3: right? And no follow up questions from Jake, because he says he's a Boeing-aholic too, Boeing aholic too, not a super fan. A ge- super ge- fan, geo Geoholic. Uh, So I'm currently <laughs> working on the newest of the attack helicopters. They call it the Future Attack Reconnaissance Aircraft. There's a f- competition with five competitors, and where Boeing has one of the entries. And we received a contract to, to perform work for that. And so, yeah, in the middle of innovating um, and watching some really impressive engineers do a lot of work in a very short time. So that's awesome. it's pretty cool. In the, in the fourth quarter of 2022, they'll be flying this aircraft.
0: So, when do you know if Boeing is selected? And again, if I ask you a question, you can't answer it. It's
3: public knowledge. The Army will down select in the March, April, May time period. Everyone has a contract. Everyone that has a contract now can, they don't, it's funded until they defund you. So, you just keep working until they say, "Uh, I'm sorry, you're not in anymore. Mm -hmm. So, we plan on being in it. I'm sure you will be.
0: It's the Boeing company. Exactly, right? How can you miss? (laughs) Exactly. How can you miss? Um, So you have a very interesting, well, your whole life is an interesting story, but since we're on the topic of Boeing, um, how did you you become employed at Boeing? I know this is a, uh, you you took the long way.
3: Yeah, I I took the long way. I graduated with an aerospace engineering degree did decent in school, I guess, 3.0 in aerospace with um, a minor in business, Um, was ski racing for part of the time, so a little bit of extracurricular. I also designed some stuff that went on the space shuttle while I was in college, and after college could not get a job. Uh, Other kids that were graduating had less of a resume, and yet I was not getting employment. Um, On my resume, I talked about my role on the U.S. Disabled Ski Team. Might have had something to do with it when people started to learn about my, my limited eyesight. So yeah, coming out, I, I started working for free for a company in Arizona and um, did some things for them. And they liked what I had to offer them. And they hired me at pretty low wage, but uh, they didn't hire me to do engineering work. They hired me to do Um, uh, uh, address their accounting system and their inventory management they bought and resold aircraft and they didn't know where the money was going and when the parts were coming in and and where they were you know what aircraft actually received it so I created an inventory management system for them and and an accounting system and a supplier management system for them wow and then in about a six-month time period I had it all automated and (laughs) they, you know, a monkey could do it and they decided that they didn't need me anymore. And I was back out looking for work and eventually got hired on. Um, but the, the process was, um, a, a number of rejections and I actually, uh, you know, it turned into a, a, a life changing moment for sure. me. And, yeah. and really, and, and at the time, you know, in, in life in general, when you're a college kid, everything is, Hey, what's in it for me. You're trying to build your resume for you so you can get a job. You're trying to, you know, um, be active and, and, and athletics to, to kind of feel like you're part of the scenery and get invited to socials. And it it was all about that. And, And my life changed after the experience that I had trying to get employed. Um, I was discriminated for sure, and I know it for sure from talking to some HR folks at the company that eventually hired me, Mm -hmm. and um, that whole having to overcome the the fact that folks weren't hiring me because of my eyesight um, pretty much changed my life. So, I I mean, I can continue on. I mean, if you no, it's uh, it's it's an interesting story. I mean, very unconventional, obviously, and. yeah. And so, and I'll just, I'll say this, that that my life shifted from a, hey, what's in it for me kind of mentality to a, hey, what can I do for others mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through a kind of a born again Christian moment as a result of being rejected from a company and, th- and knowing it. Uh, and then that born again Christian moment literally turned into divine intervention. And I'm not meaning it in a literal way. Sure. I, People would probably think I'm crazy for, but there was a divine intervention. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting hired. Um, part of that divine intervention, there was a, I made my own little kind of promise that said, Hey, if I, if you get me a job, that I will find a way to get involved in the community and make a difference. And so I got the job and now I'm like, Well, all right, well, I got to come up with my end of the bargain. I have no idea what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I thought, Well, the United States was hosting the the World Disabled Ski Championships for the first time, and this is back when you know we really didn't have cable TV. Nineteen ninety, it was pretty mm-hmm. pretty rare. Um, you know, not a lot on. Wide World of Sports was still a big thing, so I heard Wide World of Sports was going to be there, and NBC Sports. I'm like, well, if they're if they're coming, maybe I should race again. I hadn't raced in a while, so um, the first time I pursued medals, it was all about again, you know, what's in it for me? These medals will lead to being uh, accepted in the community, accepted in my peers, accepted with friends and social circles. And, you know, you were pursuing them for personal reasons. And so now I said, well, how about if I pursue gold medals f- so that I can use it in a way that I can help others? And And so I, from the company that discriminated against me and I had, Literally a divine intervention to get hired. I decided, well, hey, what can I get a leave of absence? And literally three months after I got hired, can I get a leave of absence? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they said, yeah. So I trained and made the U.S. Ski Team and um, raced in the, in the in the games and was successful. And then I remember the a reporter at the bottom of the downhill, and they announced that I won. I said, well, now they have a reason to invite me into schools and into. Um, circles where I can share a message of what I didn't know, but I I felt like I could, now I had something that they at least invite me into. And then, so that turned into, I had to develop a message. What am I going to tell these (laughs) parents of kids with disabilities? What am I going to tell other kids with disabilities? And so I did a lot of kind of meditation and reflecting and came up with a message that I, I follow today. And it's amazing. I, I apply this message to, so many different areas that I had never intended. You know, it was first intended for kids with disabilities to try and teach them how to overcome and prepare themselves to get ready because, I mean, I feel like I was competitively, you know, at, at intelligence, I had competitive intelligence, I had fairly good communication skills, I was social, I was athletic, all the things that you would kind of think that would fit into a good business environment, and yet, I, I mean, I had to, a divine intervention nature to get me employed. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like if literally if anyone was just subpar in any of those other categories that I just listed, they're not, they're not going to make it. So I wanted to try and get kids ready and that's, awesome. that's where I developed a message. And now it's like it, it's, I've applied it to things like leadership. I've applied it to things like, um, diversity, uh, coaching and mentoring and, and then just, In general what it takes to overcome challenges so so
0: the first of all I I just want to give you a big hug that was awesome (laughs) 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 Um, competitive intelligence I love that term how when
3: when you say that what do you mean by that it means that um, number one I you know I have the patience to learn Mm -hmm. and and then the patience to apply and then the work ethic to endure um, challenges in both learning and applying yep. and so yeah it starts with you know a little bit of a gift because I mean not everyone can be you know understand nuclear physics or sure. you know you for Jake know, <laughs> P plus one half Rho v squared equals a constant Jake you know what that is not Ber- yet. Ber- Ber- <laughs> Bernoulli's law that causes airplanes to fly. <laughs> so, yeah, not everyone can derive that sure. Bernoulli's equation, but, yeah, so it starts with some of a gift, but then there's more to it than just that little gift that you're given called intelligence.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, you're essentially the definition of persistence and resilience and, you know, everything you've talked about, you know, defines those terms. Um And I mean, you've always—I've always looked at you as somebody who's influential. I mean, I can tell so many stories about when we were kids, and the one in particular that I'll never forget is like, and we were—I don't know—we were probably in grade school, maybe junior high, but we'd go to the uh, the baseball field. I think I don't know whatever the grade school was by your folks' house there, and we were playing like lob league. Yeah, right. And you would play lob league, right? You couldn't see the ball for anything. You'd get up there to bat and like we would pitch you the ball and tell you when to swing and sure as shit, you would hit the <laughs> fucking ball, you'd take off run and be like, No, Glenn, go this way.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was my fr- it, it was my- like
0: it was awesome. It was so awesome. There's so many things I think I mean, when I think about you, man, I mean, you are somebody that I've always looked up to. And I know you've had some people that have influenced you as well. And um, a couple that, that come to mind is one, Sammy Scoble. Yep. Um, tell us just a little bit about Slam and uh, Sammy. Slam and
3: Sammy. So yeah, he was the original Chicago Slam and Sammy before Slam and Sammy Sosa for baseball fans that are <laughs> out there. Um, I met Sam Scoble when I was in sixth grade, probably in the height of when, as a kid, you get rejected and set aside because of differences you have, and so because of my eyesight, I was an easy candidate for getting hazed, teased, whatever you want to call it, um, set aside. Uh, you know, kids just didn't want to be around me because of my difference. And um, I got really lucky. I met this guy, Sam Scoble. You know, my parents were uh, always supportive. My friends, including y- your, your friends and your circle of friends, when my brother's age, were always really supportive and gave me encouragement. And you believe it for a period but you get to the point where it so much is caving in on you at school and you start to not really believe that all that encouragement you're getting from the home and the family and, and the circle of friends is, is real and credible. And when I met Sam Scoble, he probably said the same things and he had the same messages that this positive, supportive environment had. But he did it. You know, he proved that it could be done. And this guy was and you were, you've met Sam he I was a him. funny guy mm-hmm. he's yep. charismatic he's um you know well known in the community he was well achieved in both business and his athletics and all of that kind of really set me on a path that said hey listen if Sam can do it why can't I and and maybe maybe I'll even do more who yep. knows so that was sixth grade it changed my life and then he also introduced me to the sport of skiing Mm. because sam was in the chicago area and he started uh, what was called the american blind skiing foundation and they, they went up into wisconsin every weekend and skied and you know the chicago winters are pretty long so right. we got plenty of a ski time that that first year in sixth grade and put me on a path that eventually um you know led to being on the paralympic team led to hanging out with a crowd at the University of Colorado that at the time we didn't have what was known as the X Games but the I skied with like the X Games skiers and they brought me into the back bowls of Vail and they had me skiing moguls and skiing trees and jumping off of cliffs and and then that led to you know really getting better at skiing in general nothing could scare me and then next thing you know I'm in the world disabled ski championships in the 1990 and you know, swinging gold medals. So, put me on a path that was pretty interesting. And, and it also set an example of, hey, what, what do you do with your success? Yeah. You know, hey, if you're going to, if you're going to have all this success, what's it worth if you don't figure out a way to share that with other people and get involved and try and teach, mentor, coach, be a role model? And you have to live your life in such a way that, that, uh, you know, everyone's watching. You have to have that kind of mindset that, Folks are watching, so you need to behave in such a way that is worthy of the the things that he did and the things that I try to do.
0: Great mentors. Yep. Where did,
3: um, I, like you said, I had, I had met Sammy Scoble before, but Dave Pettigrew. Yeah, Dogger. So he was in the, Dogger Dave Pettigrew was in the, the cat pack, we called it, at the University of Colorado, and this guy was among the elite of elite skiers his brother was even better than he was he admits it too and we would go up uh sometimes twice a week to winter park mary jane we'd ski the jane side mostly not the the winter park side and he had the patience to teach me how to ski moguls he had the the i guess i don't know made me jump cliffs, jump off of cliffs. <laughs> can I actually believe limits, I huh? that I could do it because he'd be so enthusiastic and so energetic. You can do this. It's totally within your abilities. Just when you get to, you know, land... Just lean back a little bit. The snow, the snow is soft, you know. I'm like, okay, yeah, you'll, you know? you'll be fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. You were young. Don't, you don't break. Exactly. You don't break. Yeah. You just bend at this exactly. age, really. You're a college kid. It's like doing a gainer at the pool, right? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you won't hit your head, Glenn. Don't, yeah, worry, don't worry about, about it. it. It's only concrete. Forget it. Exactly. Jumping off of the 10 meter platforms at <laughs> at uh, Sunny Hill Beach. <laughs> Don't worry when you hit the water. When you hit it, you hit it. <laughs> you can't water. see can't see it coming. Yeah. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> now, with the when you won the gold, that you do the whole thing with the the national anthem. Oh yeah. Is that like the greatest feeling in the world?
3: It was pretty cool. Um Yeah, just to represent your country and and your team. So, uh Yeah, I mean re- representing the team first was kind of nice cuz you know you're trying to you're trying to put your, your U.S. team on that podium. So the, the bragging rights from literally traditionally dominant ski nations like Switzerland and Germany and Austria and France. And the U.S. disabled ski team was the dominant team. Hmm. And so, and the U.S. ski team, the able body team, was starting to make their run and starting to, to become a, a presence in the the world of skiing. And so, yeah, it was nice to, to represent. And, and again, the, the other thing, it was always on my mind every time I stepped up there that this meant something. This was not just about medals. And I didn't feel, um, the way I felt when I stood on the podium in the Paralympics. I mean, in the Paralympics, I, I felt like, Hey, this is, this is for me. And when I stood on the podium, uh, at the disabled ski championships in 1990, I felt like, Hey, this is, This is for someone else. And this is a chance to take this and not use it for me. Um, There were people that were on. It was interesting, too. You you look back and there were marquee names on our U.S. disabled ski team. I was not, even though I was successful in four medals, I didn't get invited to the White House. I didn't get invited. um, I wasn't on the cover of skiing magazine. Some others on our team were. Hmm. And so... I think that there was also kind of a little protected nature to it to not get too um, much of an ego about it it, because it really wasn't about that. And, but yeah, and I, I kind of liked the kiss that I got too. that was was nice. I get, you know, the gal that gave me the medal. That was nice.
0: Well, Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, there's such a small percentage of the population that has had the opportunity to experience something like that. I, I can't imagine,
3: just like Ryan said,
0: what
2: that feeling's got to be. So, so what were the events that you participated in in 1990 when you did win the four medals?
3: All, uh, all disciplines. So downhill, Super G, Giant Slalom, and Slalom. Slalom was a demonstration event. Uh, first time that they'd ever done it for blind or visually impaired. The challenge with Slalom, if you guys ever watched like Michaela Schifrin ski... She's like the mm-hmm. elite of elite right now. Yep. When she hits the gates, they, they snap down. But they're on a spring and they come back. So if I'm following, I follow someone through a race course. That's how I do it. And I have to find someone really, really good to ski behind. And if they clip the gate, the gate goes down and then it comes back at me like a spear and it's dangerous. So th- this was the first year that they allowed it. And so the the goal is for my guide guide that I call them and the person that skis in front of me, for them to literally just barely clip it to almost like it vibrates. Mm-hmm. Are you taking and, the, the audio from that and knowing
2: where it is because you can hear nope, it?
3: No, it's all visual. In fact, I can't see them because they're just sticks. Um, when you're skiing downhill, they put a big flag on the in between two sticks, so they're a little against the white background. You can kind of see them in the last maybe 10 to 15 yards. But with slalom, they're just sticks, so they're, they just disappear. So I just follow everywhere he goes, and I key off of his hips and his feet, and based on the angulation of the hip and the feet, you guys doing some math here, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can kind of tell how whether he's making an aggressive turn or whether it's a shallow turn, and so you 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 practice to you know understand. The body language that he's got and you follow that body language and I try and get right in the exact same line that he's in now I will tell you that it, that doesn't always work obviously <laughs> I, I when I was training for the world disabled ski championships I hit a gate at about 55 60 miles an hour they didn't put the flags on during right. during training run and I hit it and I had a gate g- coming right between my legs and I Ooh. thought there's a better option than the family plans, and I, <laughs> I stuck my hand out and broke my thumb in three places. And, oh wow! Yeah, and but it was the better alternative.
0: So where uh, I remember again when we were kids, and I remember seeing those medals and frames like at your parents' house and stuff yeah. like that. Are uh, just curious? Are they
3: still at your parents' house in frames, or do you have them at your place? Uh, under my pillow, I have them. <laughs> I just keep them there. Uh, you never know. When, no, they're yeah they're displayed in my. I have a small town home, so mm-hmm. um, they're visible from the kitchen, the living room, and pretty much everywhere. Just so they're awesome. they're up they're up high, so no one can kind of jump up there and grab them. But yeah, yeah the the silver medal from the the Paralympics was it was the first official Paralympics. So it it um, over the years the the funny thing is is the, the the kind of the history of it becomes more and more like wow that was that was the first and there was a journey of paralympic that has you know taken on a, a life that's now to where the paralympics are done at the exact same month that the olympics are and they're right after mm-hmm. so we did it at the same olympic venue but on a different year from that particular Olympics, so innsbruck austria obviously mm-hmm. a, an olympic site yep. so we we um participated in the same venues but not the same year now they do it right together and it's on mm-hmm. you know major tv major networks yeah, or on the channel it. and stuff like that there's yeah. a there's a gal um danielle olmstead that she's been on dancing with the stars and her and i are friends now on facebook because i was in utah and i i tried to go and and ski with her when, when, uh, I was out there and we became friends despite not her being in town. So we, we keep in touch. She's on Xfinity commercials. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a second. I mean, when I was ski racing, the amputees with one leg that they, they call them three trackers, they, they got all the ink, they got all the, you know, the, right. the press and they aren't paying attention to the, <laughs> the visually impaired and the blind. Now they got Danielle Olmstead, you know, pioneering the, the marketing of disabled skiing as she's on Xfinity commercials, dancing with the stars and all this other stuff. So yeah, it's a big, it's a, it's a different world now, but I was part of the start of that, which is kind of neat to think about. Yeah. So here's the thing though. Danielle
0: has not been on the Geoholics podcast.
3: Nope, not. I agree. You can probably invite her and maybe do the remote. Pull her in. She so could. Be happy she might teach you to tango. She could tango. Ooh, that's gonna take a lot for me. <laughs> that's gonna. Yeah. be Jake's that's job. It's gonna <laughs> it take it. a lot for me too. A
0: couple. We took the couple vote of, you lost. That's, uh, I, that's. outside of my skill set. I can tell you that yeah, right a now. A couple of social hall
1: uh,
3: whiskeys, maybe. Yeah. Right. Exactly.
1: Hey, they're half price Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
3: Got to get the plug in. Exactly.
0: So, uh, just a couple more questions. Um yeah. Is is there anything? Well, I'm sure there probably is but anything that you know now whether it be some sort of wisdom or what have you that you wish you knew when you were younger that might have possibly changed the course of your your career your life your you know your skiing career
3: yeah I don't know if there's anything that would change the course but I think that maybe it would have changed the way you think of yourself along the way and I, I think that um, what I've kind of learned, which is, is really interesting. I always felt like you had to do something extraordinary like winning gold medals, mm-hmm. right. To be a role model or a mentor or a coach or a, you know, to get involved and and I've learned over the years that sometimes in, in many cases just being ordinary can be viewed as extraordinary from others around you. Mm-hmm. And, you can be a coach and a mentor and a teacher and a and a symbol of success. You can be the Sam Scoble for someone like Sam Scoble was for me. You can be that, just being you. And I think that that's that's a powerful thing that I've learned over the years. And and I and I think in terms of even this podcast, as I was kind of thinking, hey, you know, this is for geo people that are in this industry, and. I think that you guys, the three of you, are in a perfect uh, position to, number one, be a positive, supportive environment to other people that are in your profession. Uh, You can be symbols of success for them. You can help be a guide and a teacher and a mentor and a coach and to help their careers because every one of you guys has probably experienced some challenges. I know, Kent, you have. I mean, this is not an easy industry to – and you know, live through with all the changes that have taken place. That's right. So, uh, and LIDAR's next, right? <laughs> Look at that. Oh, throwing <laughs> it out there. I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that this is right in line with all the things that I talk about as to what it takes to overcome challenges. You guys have three of them right there and then the passion for that. So yeah, you're, you're living it.
0: Oh, I well, thank you for that. And, uh, I mean, like I said, man, I, I I love you like a brother. I have always had nothing but the utmost respect for you. You're always like one of the most, always have been like one of the most positive people I have ever met. And I've always said, man, Glenn's got to be out there. He's got to be doing motivational speaking. And but but it, it takes motivation to do that, even. So what? I mean, what what drives you every day? I mean, I know, yeah, I know there's something something behind it.
3: Yeah, um, I I want to be Sam Scoble for someone. And so I've, I've had this mindset probably since, you know, I, I had that, uh, you know, the challenges of getting hired, I've, I've wanted to be someone that helps others. And so in order to do that, in order to be a role model, in order to be a mentor and, um, a symbol of success for, you gotta, you gotta live it out. So you have to live your life in a way that, That people are going to look to you and they'll say, Yeah, that guy is something, there's something different about him. You're going to approach your family life. You're going to, you know, so when it started, it was just my career. I'm like, I got to, every day I come into the office, I need to walk out of here knowing that I made a difference and that I am going to be someone that people around me will say, They're going to want to hire someone else with a disability because the experience with me was, easy. It was rewarding. It was comforting. It was fun. It was funny. Because, I mean, I, I have lots of funny stories because of my eyesight. And I bring them in every day. In fact, one day I came in with one black shoe and one brown shoe. And, you know, people thought that was funny. I mean, so did I. It was great, you know. But I every day, live your life in such a way that, that you create an opportunity to be that person, to make a difference. And so, that that's really what fuels me and it fueled me for my career. It fueled me with my family and be that way as a dad, you know, you want to be the, this completely present, active dad, same thing with the, the, the now ex-wife. That's the long story. Not because of my lack of effort, but just because of some of the goofiness that comes in with your eyesight changing and you know, not everyone can deal with it. Sure. So, but yeah, I mean, so that's it. That's, that's what drives me every day. And yeah. so I walk in, I, I mean, one of the things I say, and you guys used it last week. <laughs> we did a couple is, of uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago. ago I, I love said, it. Yeah. Add value and make friends. Yep. So you can add value and not make friends. And then you're just adding value and you're going to walk away without a network of, or a, um, a list of people that might see you as someone worthy of that role model or that coach, teacher, mentor role. So add value, make friends. Love and, it. Uh, Love it. It's so simple. Yeah, it is simple. The follow through
0: is what's important.
3: Yeah. So, and there are other things. I mean, I think about every day I have this list of, I kind of have a checklist of mental things I say, okay, we're off Waldo Emerson's, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. So I think, listen, you know, don't come into work kicking your, you know, your feet. If you're going to go to work, it's because you love it. So go love it. Go have a, have a career day. I say. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even know what they You say, what, is that? what does a career day mean? I, I sign my emails, have a career day, instead of thanks or whatever. Have a career day. It's like, well, it's when you know a sports reporter comes up to you and says, hey, you hit four home runs today. You knocked in nine runs. It was a career day. Yeah. So have a career day. Um, so nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. I have, um, then there's the Stephen Covey. He has the... Our greatest freedom lies between stimulus and response. <laughs> it's our freedom to choose. And so every day we're gonna face challenges and you get a choice. how How are you gonna respond? Yep. So find a way during the day to respond in such a way that you can add value and make friends. Don't respond in such a way that it's gonna you know create drama and chaos and you know, disaster in the wake. So find ways to respond to those challenges in a, in a positive way and and make difference. You know, add value, make friends. So those are the kind of things that I, I kind of think my way through every morning and and prepare for the day. Yep.
1: We're going to have to get a hold of your buddy and see if we can trademark that. <laughs> add value and make friends. Add value and make, make, friends,
0: make yeah. friends, yeah. And the other one um, on that same night that he dropped that one on us, um, <laughs> the other one was uh, train people past. Oh yeah.
3: Beyond that's train beyond the finish. Yep. Beyond the right. finish line. So I had a, I had a philosophy when I was ski racing that no one was going to out train me. I was going to be most fit for the race so that when you, um, you know, you do all these disciplines that there's no way you're tired at the end. So I always had a, a, a philosophy of train beyond the finish line. And thus, when you're beyond the finish line, then you can let up cause you know, you're past it. And it's funny, I I just used this one the other day. I mean, I use it when I'm, I'm, every day, I mean, yesterday I was on the exercise bike. I was at one hour and I had it on the highest level, you know, the highest resistance Uh level. And I'm going and I'm like, train beyond the finish line, Glenn. You set 60 minutes as your goal. We'll go another five. And and then when I was done with that, I'm like, yeah, I feel like just going home and watching uh, Monday Night Football. Nah, you got it recorded, Glenn. Why don't you walk a mile? So I walked a mile. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, train beyond the finish line. Someone asked me a question about retirement. They said, Glenn, when do you want to retire? You know, 30 years, you know, how, how much longer you got? I said, well, I started thinking about, you know, do I want to do I want to set a like a goal or a date? And I said, no, I'm going to train beyond the finish line. I'll know when I've passed the time. Just like I knew when I was past the finish line, you look, you're like, hey, I'm in the area where they say stop or you're going to hit a bunch of people. So... You'll know when you're in your career, when is done when are you done? When is it done? You know, you'll know. You'll look back and go, hey, look, the finish line was three months ago. I'm still skiing. I need to slow this thing down. Yeah. So yeah, train beyond the finish line. Thanks that's, for reminding me of that one. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that 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 one kind of resonated with me, that's for sure. So yeah. um, again, I love you, man. Thank you so much yeah, for being here. Do you guys have any uh, last minute questions? I know
2: Jake being the uh... <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say the Boeing fanboy the, the he's Boeing going to have stuff, then really quick. What's here, yeah. what's uh, your career at Boeing? What's been like the highlight? What's what's a project that you've worked on that you've really enjoyed or has seen something that's been popular since
3: you've been there? So, the uh, back end of the F 18 is built by Northrop Grumman Corporation. That means that Boeing has to buy it. So, I was on the team that procured that. And I still think, it, I, someone could check the facts. I don't know. I, we're, we're at least up there in the top five still, but I, I may have been part of the negotiating and settling a contract. I, I was responsible for the engineering portion of that procurement, but the largest defense subcontract in aviation history was in the three-point-something billion dollars for one purchase order wow. for us between us and Northrop, where we they build the back end of the F-18. They send it via truck or train to St. Louis and then they splice it together with the front end of the aircraft. So oh, that wow. was pretty cool. Um, and then uh, I would guess, yeah, that was probably, that's probably a highlight. <laughs> did you, uh, did you sign that check? I did not sign the check. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the executives like to swoop in, you know, take credit. first.
1: Now that the work's done, let me yeah. sign yeah. that yeah. for you. Let yeah. me, right. let,
3: me uh, let me take the picture here with the big frame and, yeah and then and last
2: question out of all of the boeing uh, airliners to date what's what's your favorite
3: of the airliners of course southwest well the, the actual planes <laughs> oh the, the, aircrafts, the <laughs> aircraft. like southwest but that's all they buy is yeah. is boeing products i mean yeah every time i get on i'm like i know i'm not driving you know riding on somebody else's product so product um so you like the 737s then I like uh, transport and the F eighteen. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I I like them all. Um, I would probably say I'm always impressed. I seven six seven is an aircraft that I've worked on. Uh, I've done some work on creating some innovative uh, inventory management solutions for the triple seven and for the seven three seven, but the seven six seven I think is the one that. I would probably propagate to, as far as my favorite. I'm always amazed, by the way, that these things get off the ground with the amount of weight. And we were talking before, we were just kind of goofing around this whole concept of these engines. They're so gargantuan, just the engine alone. How do you lift that thing off the ground on on a wing?
2: Especially the new ones, they're huge. They
3: are huge. So uh, it's always amazing to know that the technology behind All of that, and to know the engineering behind all that, to know the testing behind all that, and to say that it's just an amazing feat for air travel in general. It's just an amazing feat. And we take it for granted that it's like nothing to it, right? It's more safe than driving cars. It's more safe than apparently playing golf, probably, (laughs) right? i'll look it up yeah i'll bet you it is you know less injuries less there might be more deaths. people getting struck by lightning on the golf course yeah i'll bet you so um yeah so it we take it for granted but um yeah it's a overall statistically very very safe and very um convenient no sure nice to fly from la to new york rather than driving it although it's a nice drive if you have the time exactly
1: so we ask this question to all of our guests. Oh no, it was yeah. it? It's nothing bad. Okay. I don't think I don't think you eat any of these, By looking at you and seeing how in shape you are, uh, if you could have one of these three sandwiches every day for the rest of your life, would it be peanut butter and jelly, grilled cheese, or sloppy Joe?
3: Well, did you set this up, Kent? No. Well, I mean, it's the same question we've so, asked every guest. So I do eat peanut butter and jelly for dinner every day. So well, there you go. That, that's that the answer. That that. Yeah. <laughs> that's part I, of my... I knew that's what he was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So I, I live on a, a very a, a unique diet of yogurt, cheese stick, chocolate milk, Pop-Tarts, so... and peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and every once in a while, like, uh, on-the-border chips. Although, lately, i have been a little too salty. Yeah. yeah.
0: I will tell you this. Probably about, I don't know, gosh, four or five years ago, and it was like right after I saw you... I, and you mentioned the chocolate, and I love chocolate milk. So I'm like, I gotta try this chocolate milk diet, right? Yeah. I freaking put on ten pounds.
3: Oh well, you gotta work <laughs> you out. You gotta a work too. out. Yeah, yeah you didn't means. tell me that. Minor yeah, details. A little detail. Yeah.
1: You and my six year old about have the same diet. Yeah. I, I tell He's you. jealous. You're living the dream.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Last thing I want to mention, um, again, thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, Glenn. Yeah, it was um, fun coming on. We, we, uh, have we'd love uh, to have you anytime. anytime. Yeah, anytime. Awesome. Uh, with that, I do want to mention the uh, the retinitis pigmentosis website. It is org. So if you want to find out more about uh, retinitis pigmentosa or make a donation to research, please feel free to uh, make your way over to that website. Or, or just give me cash. <laughs> just... <laughs>
1: Peanut butter and jelly is not cheap. <laughs> we can arrange that.
0: Yep. That's it. Um, with all that being said, another great episode. Um, thank you
3: guys. You
1: guys are yeah, awesome. Yep. Thank cheer. you, Glenn.
0: Thank you, Glenn.
3: Yeah, and thanks to uh, uh, the uh, social hall. Social hall, yeah. Come check it us out. Up.
0: Quick plug for the uh, XYHT podcast measure this. They are the uh, the Harvard of Geomatics podcast, while we are the uh, Animal House of GMX Podcast. But check them out. Thanks again to Social Hall allowing us to be here in uh, Studio One. It's a great place. And finally, check the Geoholics out at www.thegeoholics.com. You can get on our mailing list there. Also, follow us on Twitter. And you can download the podcast on the website or on iTunes. So carol pasty and the honey shakers take us out until next time thanks everybody for listening and be safe